0: Right, good morning. Good morning. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Uh, we're continuing in our sermon series on the book of Genesis, looking at Genesis 6, verse 9, going all the way to chapter 8, verse 22, <coughs> for our time together this morning, uh, where we will... Uh, certainly uh, learn more and more about Jesus. Uh, Follow along with me as I read, beginning uh, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. This is how you are to make it, the length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark, and finish it to a cubit above, and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks, for behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, Of every creeping thing of the ground, according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. (coughs) Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and its mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights." And every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all of the Lord that commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two by, two and two Male and female went into the ark with Noah, as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two, of all flesh in which there was the breath of life." And those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God commanded them, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. It blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things, And birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth one hundred and fifty days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained. And the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate (coughs) until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot. And she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him any more. In the six hundred and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, The waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked. And behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, Birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird. and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not. Cease. May God bless the reading of his word. <clears throat> the story of Noah <clears throat> and the flood is one of the most sobering, most horrifying stories in the Bible. It's a story of judgment. It's a story that tells us the depth of human depravity and God's hatred for sin. It's a story about death and destruction. But it's also a story about God's grace and mercy. Uh, One commentator notes that the structure of the flood account is what's called a chiasm which means that it is divided into two halves, the second half being a mirror image of the first half, but in reverse order. And if you look at the the back of your bulletin, you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, The flood account begins with an introduction of Noah's righteousness and and Noah's sons. And then we see this, this chiasm, this chiastic structure, where first God Resolves to destroy the corrupt race in chapter 6, verses 11 to 13. Then Noah builds an ark according to God's instruction, chapter 6, verses 14 to 22. The Lord commands the remnant to enter the ark, chapter 7, verses 1 to 9. The flood begins, chapter 7, verses 10 to 16. The flood prevails for 150 days and the mountains are covered chapter 7 verses 17 to 24 and then right there in the middle God remembers Noah chapter 8 verses verse 1 a then we see the flood recedes for 150 days and the mountains are seen in chapter 8 verse 1b to verse 5 so we see it coming back around in reverse order then there are dries chapter 8 verses 6 to 14 God commands the Remnant to leave the ark, chapter 8, verses 15 to 19. Uh, Noah builds an altar, chapter 8, verse 20. And then the Lord resolves not to destroy mankind in chapter 8, verses 21 to 22. So we see that the first half of the flood account describes a kind of de-creation, while the second half of the flood account describes a kind of re-creation. Uh, but right there in the middle of this mirror image structure is the opening line of Genesis chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And so we see it. The, the, the hinge between these two halves of the flood account, the, the, basically the, the point of the passage is that God remembered Noah. And so what we're going to see is that even though God judges sin and wickedness in his grace, he always saves a remnant to continue his kingdom on the earth. That, that's the, the, the point of this passage. Even though God judges sin and wickedness in his grace, he always saves a remnant to continue his kingdom on the earth. All right, so that's going to be our, our roadmap for our time together this morning. In the midst of judgment, there is grace. In the midst of judgment, there is grace. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 begins a, a new Toledoth. These are the generations of Noah. This is the uh, third of 10 of these Toledo sections in the book of Genesis. We've seen the, the generations of the heavens and the earth and the generations of Adam and now the generations of Noah. And what we discover about Noah in verse 9 is that he was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Right? Now this doesn't mean that uh, that Noah was perfect or, or that he was uh, sinless by other means by any means. Uh, rather, uh, Hebrews chapter eleven verse seven is clear that by faith Noah, being warned by God's by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by. Faith. And, and so we see that, that Noah's life is a life of faith. Like Enoch before him, Noah walked with God. And like Abraham after him, who believed the Lord and, and he counted it to him as righteousness, Noah believed. And, and this description of, of Noah's character stands in sharp contrast to the violence, the, the lawlessness, the godlessness of the world around him. Right, So in, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, we read that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Right in here, we, we see uh, a similar thing uh, echoed in, in verses 11 to 12. We read that the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Now, if you can remember, in in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, after God created the heavens and the earth, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Yet here, God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. The earth no longer uh, honored God as the king of the universe, and it no longer uh, was a manifestation of the good kingdom of God so that it grieved the Lord to his heart. Verse six says, so what does God do? Now well, in verse 13, God says to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, I realize that this may conjure up uh, some, some questions in our minds like, how could a good God send a flood to destroy the earth? Uh, that, that's, that's where our minds typically go. But, but that's actually the wrong question. You see, the, the question we should be asking is, why does God save anyone at all? Right? Because the reality is God is, is infinitely holy and our sin is breathtakingly offensive to him. The the Bible will not make sense to us. God will not make sense to us. Our sin will not make sense to us unless we understand these two truths, that God is holy and that our sin is offensive to him. God is not obligated in the slightest to save sinners. But do you know what God loves to do? He loves to save sinners. And that's why God was so patient with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and didn't just come upon them with, with lightning bolts of judgment. And that's why God is patient here in the flood accounts and gives the people the time it takes, Noah, to build the ark for them to repent of their sin and, like Noah, walk with God. They, they, had, a, they had a long time to repent of their sin and walk with God. Second Peter chapter three verse nine says, "The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance." Right? We see an example of this with with Jonah. Right? The prophet Jonah preached that in forty days Nineveh would be overthrown and what happens well the the people of Nineveh everyone in the city I think even the animals repented of their sin and called out to God and it says that God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it right so so don't think that God woke up on the wrong side of his cosmic bed one day and started throwing down lightning bolts of judgment. No, 1 Peter 3 verse 20 is clear that God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. And so we see that God waited patiently for them to repent, but they did not repent. God was long-suffering with man's evil on the earth, but eventually God pronounces judgment. And we see the effects of God's judgment in Genesis 7, verses 21 to 22, where we read that all flesh died, not moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. You, You see the... The word all there, it's all encompassing. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. Just as God had promised back in, in Genesis 6, verse 7, verse 23, says that he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, they were, they were all blotted out from the earth. Right. This isn't a, 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 cute Sunday school story for kids. And hey, I, I grew up with the Lord told Noah to build him an arky arky, right? I grew up in that generation. Some of y'all taught, taught that generation. Right. But do we understand the, the theological implications of what we're being shown here? Do, do we understand that, that God is unrivaled in power and majesty? And that human sinfulness is worse than we think? And that God is entirely just to judge human sin? Do we, do we understand these theological implications? Right, we, we see God's judgment of human sin. Later on in Genesis, in the complete destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We see God's judgment of Israel when a whole generation dies in the wilderness and does not enter the promised land. We see God's judgment in the deportation of the northern kingdom of Israel to Assyria and the southern kingdom of Judah to Babylon. Finally, we see God's judgment of human sin at the cross where Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, 1 John 2 verse 2 says. "Right, All of these Judgments of God point to God's sudden, final judgment at the second coming of Christ. In in Matthew 24, verses 37 to 39, Jesus says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and and giving in marriage. And until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the son of man. But praise God that he still loves to save sinners. Praise God that He is still patient towards us. Now, the, the ultimate consequence for sin wasn't expressed by the flood, but rather it fell on Jesus at the cross. The flood was violent, but God took on human flesh and died a violent death at the hands of violent men, a death that became the very means He would use to save sinners. In the the flood account, the, the wicked died and the righteous one was spared. But with Jesus, the wicked were spared and the righteous one sank beneath the waters of death. Noah survived the flood by taking shelter in the ark. But in his life, death and resurrection, Jesus became a shelter, not just for his own family, but for all of creation so that even though God judges sin and wickedness in his grace, he always saves a remnant to continue his kingdom on the earth. Even though God pronounces judgment, we see that God's judgment is infused with redeeming grace as God saves Noah and his family and a selection of animals. And the way God Saves them is through the ark, which is approximately 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Sealed watertight inside and out with, with pitch. Uh, by modern standards, it would be uh, the size of a small cargo ship. or larger ships on the waters these days, but for the ancient world, this is a massive undertaking and a massive boat. Now, outside the flood account, the only other place where the Hebrew word for ark appears in the Old Testament is interestingly enough in Exodus chapter 2, verses 3 and 5, where it is translated as basket. The basket into which Moses' mother placed him to drift down the Nile. So just as the great pitch-covered ark preserved uh, Noah and his family from a watery death. So also the tiny pitch-covered basket preserved uh, Moses. But then uh, Noah's ark also represents another ark, the ark of the covenant. In Exodus chapter 37, uh, we read that the ark of the covenant was made not with gopher wood, but with acacia wood, 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches high. We get, its, we get its dimensions. And that it was covered inside and outside, not with pitch, but with gold. So that while Noah's Ark and, and Moses' basket represents deliverance from death, the Ark of the Covenant was the place where God's people would be delivered from sin. And ultimately, they, they all point forward to the, the manger that would contain the Messiah and the cross upon which the Messiah would ultimately be crucified, showing the, showing that full and final salvation comes through the ark of Jesus Christ who said, I am the door. If anyone comes, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. John 10 verse 9 says, And so there's the, the ark of Jesus Christ that is before us in this story. Uh, the tension continues to build, though. Uh, in Genesis 6, verse 17, God says, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Right, so we see that the flood is no accident. It is a deliberate act of God to destroy that which is turned intrinsically evil. But again, God's judgment is infused with redeeming grace. As God says in verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you. This is the first time in the Bible we actually see the, the Hebrew word barit, which is Covenant. Uh, Lord willing, we'll look at uh, this covenant more in a few weeks when we get into Genesis chapter 9. But notice that that God is establishing a special covenant relationship with Noah, uh, similar to what he did with Adam, and that God promises at this point to uh, keep alive Noah and his family and and all the creatures that were going to be in the ark with him. So that even though God judges sin and wickedness, in his grace... He always saves the remnant to continue his kingdom on the earth. And we see this in the, in the detailed listing of, of all the creatures and, and how many of each creature there was to be. Each creature was to enter the ark. And when we think of the flood, we, we think of a- animals coming in by twosies, twosies, right? Elephants and kangaroosies, roozies. Come on, you, you guys know the song. But in Genesis chapter 7, verses 2 to 3, we, we get some clarification. Uh, Noah was to bring one pair of unclean animals and seven pairs of clean animals. Now, what's interesting about this is that we don't read about uh, clean and unclean animal laws until Leviticus chapter 11. right? Yet, here, God is making a distinction between what is clean and what is unclean. Because God is already making preparations for after the flood. And and you could argue that God is making preparations for after the exodus already. And so, that, that, so that when Noah gets off the ark, what's the first thing that he's going to do? Genesis 8 verse 20 says that Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offer burnt offerings on the altar. And then in in Genesis chapter 9, God is going to give the animals to Noah and his family for food, right? And so obviously, food and sacrifices are going to require animals, which means that God is already making preparations for after the flood. God already has everything after the flood looked after. And so the ark is going to act as a kind of rescue capsule, that will keep alive human beings as well as representatives of all these kinds of, of birds and land animals that God created in the beginning so that God's kingdom would continue on the earth. God is preserving mankind and animals so that God's kingdom would continue on the earth. And this brings us to Genesis chapter 7, verse 11. 7 11. Should be easy to remember. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. All right, now, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 7 we read that God made the expanse, right? And that He, He separated the waters that were, uh, under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. So there was this expanse and He had, He had separated these waters. But here we see that act of creation being undone where God withdraws His upholding hand so that the waters are pouring down from above and they're exploding up from the deep. It's, it's a reversal of Creation, Right? It's, it's de-creation. But there's a glimmer of hope. As verse 16 says, that the Lord shut him in. Right? So that we see that the Lord is sovereign over the waters at creation and he's sovereign over the waters at the flood. It will rain for 40 days and 40 nights and the waters will increase until the highest mountains are covered and until every living thing on the face of the earth has died, but it will come to an end. God will make sure that it will come to an end, and it does, as Genesis 8, verse 2 says, that the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed and the rain from the heavens were restrained. God would put an end to the water. All right, but it would rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And that number 40, as we've seen with the, the number 7, for example, uh, the number 40 is also a significant number in uh, Scripture, as it often indicates uh, a time of trial or testing for the people of God. Right, so, for example, uh, Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving God's law for 40 days and 40 nights on uh, two separate occasions. Uh, Moses also sent spies for 40 days in, to investigate the promised land. Uh, Israel would wander in the wilderness under Moses for 40 years. Goliath taunted Israel for 40 days before God fought before David fought him. Uh, the prophet Jonah warned Nineveh for 40 days that destruction would come upon them because of its many sins. The prophet Ezekiel laid on his right side for 40 days to symbolize Judah's sins. Elijah went 40 days without food or water on Mount Horeb. Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness for 40 days. Jesus also appeared to his disciples and others for 40 days after his resurrection from the dead. And so we see that the number... Forty is the number that says that God's people are in trial and testing. And so the question that we, we see here is that will they survive this awesome judgment? Will they survive this trial and testing? And the answer is yes, but only by God's grace. Only by God's grace. Look at Genesis chapter eight, verse one. This is the, the pinnacle the point of the passage but god remembered noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark this is the turning point when god remembers someone it's more than just mere recollection it's not as though god forgot about noah no whenever god remembers someone it's always in order to save. It's always in order to save. For example, in in Genesis 19, verse 29, it says that God remembered Abraham and saved Lot. Right? And in Genesis chapter 30, verse 22, it says that God remembered Rachel and opened her womb. Right? So God remembers in order to save. And we see this in the fact that just as, the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters in Genesis chapter one, verse two. So also in Genesis chapter eight, verse one, God made a wind. The Hebrew word here is ruach, which means spirit. So you could say that God made his spirit blow over the earth and the water subsided. So God remembered Noah in order to save. And he started blowing the waters away by way of his spirits. In other words, we're we're meant to see here that God is is making a new earth, a new creation, a recreation. Really, where where Noah is going to act as as a kind of new Adam. Uh, When we get come to Genesis chapter 9, we'll we'll see all sorts of parallels uh, between Adam and and Noah. For example, uh, both worlds are formed from watery chaos. Uh, Both Adam and Noah are associated explicitly with the image of God, as we'll see in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Both are said to walk with God. Both are the recipients of the uh, promissory blessing. Both rule and exercise dominion over animals. Uh, Both are told to be fruitful and multiply. Both work the ground. Uh, Both sin through the fruit of a tree, and the result of both of their sin is uh, an exposure, a humbling and an embarrassing wickedness, or not wickedness, nakedness. And both father three named sons, one of whom uh, acted wickedly and is under a curse. So we see all kinds of parallels between uh, Noah and Adam to show that, that Noah is a kind of new Adam on a new kind of earth. The judgment of God has destroyed the, the offspring of the serpent so that God can, can make a new beginning with, with Noah, the offspring of the woman, and with the creatures that were with him in the ark. Because God is a God of new beginnings. Right? By faith. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. We see that several times throughout this passage. He entered the ark with no idea how things were going to go and when it was going to end. He hasn't even heard from God since before the flood began. But then finally, finally in Genesis chapter 8, verses 15 to 17, God says to Noah, go out from the ark uh, you, your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Uh, bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds, uh, animals, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And, and, and notice that the, the first thing Noah did is he built an altar to the Lord and he offered burnt offerings on. The altar. In other words, Noah follows the pattern of the godly line of Seth by calling on the name of the Lord. the The earth is the place where the Lord is to be worshipped. Noah recognizes this, and he gives the Lord the worship he is due, and the Lord is pleased with this offering, as verses twenty one to twenty two the Lord says in his heart, that's an interesting phrase. The Lord says in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And so we see that, that God recognizes that human beings are still inclined to evil as the, the next chapter clearly shows. Yet, God promises never again to send such a disastrous flood that turns his good creation into chaos. Why? Since the human heart hasn't changed, how can God now promise never again And it's because in spite of human sin and wickedness, God has committed himself to his world. God has committed himself to his world. Even though God judges sin and wickedness in his grace, he always saves a remnant to continue his kingdom on the earth. We, we see this with Noah and his family when God brought them safely through the flood. We, we see this with Lot and his two daughters when God saved them from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We see this with Elijah when God assured him that there were three, seven Thousand whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouth has not kissed him. And ultimately, we see this with the church, the body of Christ, chosen out of the millions who have lived and died over the centuries. We are the remnant church. The ark is a picture of God's grace and God's mercy in the midst of judgments. The question is are you in the boat? Are you living by faith? Are you trusting in a salvation from judgment that is coming upon this world? Are you one of the remnants? God has made a way for us to be saved if we will simply put our faith in the ark that is Jesus Christ. Uh, I came across a story this week about a Christian man uh, who had been meeting regularly with a a Jewish agnostic student named Daniel. Uh, They would talk a lot about, about Jesus and about morality, and for some reason, Daniel kept listening. During that time, this man and his wife were blessed with a son, whom they named Daniel. Well, the first time... That this man saw Daniel, the student, after the arrival of Daniel, his son. He told him about the good news. Well, Daniel didn't know what the name Daniel meant. So this man told him, in Hebrew, it means God is my judge. And without a second's hesitation, he said, oh, I'm in a lot of trouble. Indeed, if if God is our judge, then we are all in a lot of trouble. Fortunately, he's not only a righteous judge, but he's also a gracious savior. Only only the gospel resolves that tension. God demands payment for sin, but he also provides payment for sin. He convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment to come, but the cross atones for sin Manifests righteousness and absorbs judgments only through Christ. And so though Noah is a a new Adam, who is an offspring of the woman, who is righteous man, blameless in his generation, who who walked with God and, and obeyed God without question, Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Right now, not even considering the, the, the more about Jesus that we've already looked at, Noah would present a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord, but Jesus would offer himself as a sacrifice to atone for sin once and for all. Through Noah, God would make a new start only for them to fall right back into sin, but through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus ushers in God's kingdom with new life. For all his followers and the hope of a new creation that is free from its bondage to corruption, Romans 8 verse 21 says. And I liked what, what one writer said. He said, one day we won't be like Noah, hoping to not stain the world with sin once again. Instead, we'll look to King Jesus whose eternal reign will never be challenged and who will conquer the chaos of sin once and for all. And this good news is not only hope for the future, it's also encouragement for the present. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and 9, the Apostle Peter writes, if God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So that in, in the face of, of persecution or, or trial or, or sickness or suffering or, or sword or death, God always saves a remnant to continue his kingdom on the earth. And this should give us hope and courage for today and for every day until Christ comes again. Because, as as Peter again puts it in 2 Peter 3, verse 13, according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In Christ, We can count on this new beginning, this new creation, when Jesus will come again to restore his perfect kingdom on the earth. Are you ready? I hope we are. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. For as much as the flood account reveals your hatred for sin, and rightfully so, It also reveals your great mercy and grace and love. We give you thanks for calling us and for delivering us and for preserving us for the sake of your great name. We ask that you would help us to respond as faithful men and women in a wicked generation, that you would help us to walk with you even when the world is walking in a different direction, And God, we pray for those who don't know the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray that they would not be unaware when the judgment comes. But that they would even now, even today, today is the day of salvation, trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation.